quick, during this series on uncompromised, uh, we felt it was really important for us to just be reminded of, of what unites us and, and what we believe. And, and so in a world of division, you know, we want to make sure that we are the aroma of Christ, that we love people. And so each week, we're going to start the sermon by reciting the Apostles' Creed. And so I'm going to ask you all to stand, and uh, we're going to walk through this. So if you're a believer, I would love for you to, 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 to uh, recite this with me as we're reminded of what unites us. And so I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you that that is not something we just read. Uh, There is incredible power in what we believe and what marks us. And so I pray that that would mark our lives, that your spirit would enable us to walk in a way that's consistent. And I pray for John right now as he shares, as you speak through him, your truth, your love, and your word. And we thank you for Christ. Amen. Y'all, welcome. My name is John Elmore. I serve within pastoral care and regeneration. We're continuing the uncompromised series, living as a Christian in a cancel culture. And also, this is a continuation of the Elder Strategic Initiative to equip the church for a changing world, which is straight from Ephesians 4.12, to equip the body of Christ. So last week, as we began uncompromised, we talked about truth and culture. You might remember if you were here that I shared a tip with Trey at the trampoline park that made his eyes go wide. Well, this past week, I walked into a donut shop and I gave a tip that made my eyes go wide. Let me explain. It's my daughter's birthday. I walk in, I get donuts. And uh, as I do, you know, donut shop employees, I feel like they don't get a lot of the credit they deserve. And these are really good donuts. And so I was like, hey, uh, I'd like to leave a tip before you ring that up. And no joke, she goes, okay. Adds the money says that'll be $13 or whatever, hands me change. She hands me the cash of the tip that she decided and then points to the tip jar. I was like, okay. Like what just happened? You just chose your tip. (laughs) That was the craziest thing. She straight up, because I didn't speak up, I didn't say, hey, $2, $5, $10, whatever. Uh, Because I didn't speak up, she decided, handed me change, And I just had to live with it. Like it was done. The transaction had already occurred. The reason why I say that is because today as we talk about law and religious liberty, if you do not speak up, the government and the general population will determine 
the change, and they will hand you the change that is ever being legislated, whether you like it or not. If you do not speak up, the government via general population will decide the change for you. Now, also, speaking of change, last week, I wrongfully said that the Attorney General Merrick Garland called parents protesting at school board meetings domestic violence. I, I realized that was wrong after a couple of people helped me. What is actually true is that the National School Board Association said that parents may be acting as domestic terrorists and infringing upon the Patriot Act. They sent that letter to Biden. Biden then, I guess, related to Garland. Garland then mobilized the FBI to research this and look into it along with U.S. attorneys. So, uh, the, the National School Board Association has since issued an apology saying that parents aren't domestic terrorists. Newsflash. But I shared that was wrong. And uh, so I need to correct that. And so U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, in the spirit of Regen, in the spirit of Christ, will you please forgive me for saying something that you didn't say? And please don't call parents terrorists. That'd be a win for everybody. Um, humility, like strong medicine, is rarely good in your mouth, but it is always good for your body. So it is, it is good and right for me to do that. Um, to clean that up and correct it. Today we're gonna to be talking about God's people living under God's government. God's people, us, the church, living under God's sovereignly appointed governments. And so whether that's President Biden or Kim Jong-un of North Korea, the most Christian persecuted nation under his dictatorship regime, any spectrum therein or throughout the annals of history, whether it's Alexander the Great or Hitler, Every single government that has ever existed has been sovereignly appointed by God. And some of you are like, wait, what? How can that be? Like how, you're telling me that God sovereignly appointed Hitler. Well, nothing comes to pass that hasn't yet first passed through the sovereign hand of God. And so while God delights not in sin, he does not delight in sin, in dictators, in mass murdering of civilians, he does, in his perfect love, give us freedom. And sometimes in our freedom, we as the human race make horrific decisions that we have to live with. But here it is uh, in Romans 13. And, and keep in mind, these words written contextually, this is Paul writing by the Holy Spirit in the context under the, the emperor or, or Caesar of Nero. Now, Nero was not gracious towards Christians. He was not gracious to his own people. He had one of his wives killed because he fell in, fell in love with a lover. He had his mom assassinated. He has two of his political aides assassinated. He then took for himself, a, oh, by the way, I was supposed to have said at the beginning of this message, there's adult content. I'm about to say some adult content. Uh, <laughs> and that'll go for next week as well when we talk about sanctity of life. He took for himself a young boy as his gay lover because the young boy's uh, appearance reminded him of his ex-lover that had died. Nero also put people into the arena, as Paul says, like, did I fight wild beasts in Ephesus for nothing? And he also persecuted and killed Christians. And Paul wrote these words under Nero. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. In case you missed it, he says it again. The authorities, in case they're like, wait, what? Are you talking about Nero? The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God and what he has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. Jesus says to Pontius Pilate, as, the, as he's there, as this 
incredible exchange. He's there and Pilate's like, who are you? What have you done? And Jesus isn't saying much. And then, and then Pilate says this, because Jesus is silent. He says, do you not realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus' response is amazing. Jesus says, you would have no power at all over me except that which has been given to you from heaven. The very power that was going to lead Jesus to the cross to be crucified by the Roman soldiers at the command of the Jews was given by the Father. Isaiah 53, it was the Lord's will to crush him. And then also you've got this prophet Jeremiah speaking to the exiles who are there in Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Jeremiah 29. The God of Israel says to all those I, Yahweh, Jehovah, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Wait, what? Oh, we're gonna be here a while. Have sons and daughters? Find for your wives, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Okay, we're gonna be here a while so that they too may have sons and daughters. Now we're talking about three generations in exile. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Why? Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for the city because if, it's pro if it prospers, you too will prosper. The word there that, that God uses is shalom. Now we've uh, abbreviated shalom to just be this flippant word for peace in the Old Testament. It's much more than that. It's holistic wellness, wholeness of body, mind, and soul. That's what shalom is. It's this holistic peace and presence of God. And he says, as you seek the shalom of the city, you will have shalom. I've carried you in exile and I want you to increase, don't decrease. Embed yourself there and seek the shalom of where you live that you also will experience shalom. And it's what we're to do today. This is very instructive to us because under Nero, under Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and here we are in an increasingly pagan nation, post-Christian in America, and here's the good news. Our hope is not in America. I do not hope in America and neither should anyone in this room. We are not American Christians, but we are Christians in America. And here's the thing, y'all, that's not fatalistic towards America. I love this country. I think it's the best country on this planet in this day, even as it is on this cultural landslide. But we, just like the exiles in Babylon are bringing shalom to the city, the state, the nation, because we live in this crazy time that is not known within the biblical context that we can actually vote. You can run for office. There's nothing within the scriptures that would ever even allude to that fact, even under the righteous kings of Judah, that you could take part in who is going to rule over you or even rule yourself. That's unheard of. We live in this incredible American experiment where we can actually vote and run and lead and influence the general population or culture in order to lead the legislation and the executive branch that then rules over us. This is unbelievable, the opportunity that we have. But I think sometimes we squander it. I think sometimes we uh, think more about the problems in politics than we are moved to prayer. See, in this cultural landslide, I think that's uh, being increasingly legislated. It's no longer just opinions, it's being written in. 
And we're living in this time of judges where everyone's doing right in their own eyes. Like that, that is squarely where we are. And so as we talk about law and religious liberty, what we're not going to do is have like a, uh, a church gathering and walk through constitutional liberties or the amendments or a bill of rights. Because as we can see uh, by the rulings that have, have been continuing in an increasing amount in our land, those are ever fluid. They just change depending on who's legislating, the Supreme Court appointees and what they decide on these, whether it's Roe v. Wade or whatever it may be. And so as those are fluid, we stand on the bedrock word of God that is inerrant and eternal. And so we live according to the laws of the Lord, not the laws of the land. We're living to the law of the Lord in submission to the laws of the land until the laws of the land conflict with the law of the Lord and then our allegiance is to God alone. And they can do what they must, but we will follow the Lord. And you're gonna see that throughout the scriptures. What was amazing to me today, well, not today, in the preparation for today, is that throughout the scriptures, it is replete, it is so full. God gave us so many examples of God's people influencing up to what we would call politicians, those who are in authority and governing offices. It's all throughout the Bible. We're gonna mention a few of those today, but once you start thinking about it, like it's everywhere. Why? Because he's put us here to further that shalom, that peace and wholeness of God. Recently, this past week as well, and we're gonna begin, in Philadelphia, there was a crime. The crime lasted 30 to 40 minutes. And as that crime was being committed, 10 people, took out their phones and videoed it. 30 to 40 minutes. They didn't call 911, they didn't intercede, they didn't fight back, they filmed and watched. That was Philadelphia. My question is for us today, as culture and legislation and everything just moves along at an alarming rate and an alarming morality or immorality, will we just watch or will we act? Will we watch or will we speak? Will we watch, will we influence and exhort? We're gonna walk through today these four examples of God's people living under God's appointed government. First, be diplomatic like Daniel. Diplomatic like Daniel. You've got Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the names they were given. They have Hebrew names but then they were given other ones when they were exiled. And here's the deal, you gotta think about these Babylonian exiles. They're in a new land, under a new authority, given a three-year new education that you know was thoroughly pagan with false deities that, that are demons, these false gods that are being told to worship, this uh, rogue morality there within Babylon. They're being indoctrinated and saturated with this pagan culture. They're given, uh, in addition to new land, new authority, new laws. They're given new names, and then they're also even given a new diet. Now, new names, in case you're like, no big deal. Well, you tell me. Azariah means Yahweh has helped us. Yahweh has helped us. They went from Azariah to Abednego. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of cool. It sounds like to bed we go. It's like, no. No, Abednego means you're slave of the God of war and scorched earth. It's like, that's a terrible name. Hey, God of the slave of scorched earth and war, would you grab me a glass of water? Fetch me some water. Like, no one would even be called that. And yet, new land, new authority, new education, all the new. You know what they take issue with? It's not the new name. They take issue with the new diet. And if it was me, I'd be like, dude, 
I'll eat the hot dogs and bacon. Just quit calling me that. But they're like, no, no, that's passive. You can call me what you want. You can call me names because that's not my name. You can instruct me and educate me in what you want because that's not what I believe. That's not truth. You can say you're authority of me, but ultimately I answer to God and this is his word. Those were passive things. But then they asked him to do something active, which was to eat a food that would defile them according to the Old Testament laws. And they're like, no, we can't do that. But they weren't obstinate and offensive. They were incredibly humble and polite, mannerly and winsome. Let's take a look at it. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked, he didn't tell, he didn't demand. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official. You see that. God is over all authority. Not just, you know, Biden or Abbott or Johnson, or whoever you're working for. He's over all authority. God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord my king who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would have left my head. He's like, look, dude, if you stop eating and drinking, you're going to look all emaciated and withered away, and then the king's going to be like, you're not doing your job. Why aren't you feeding the, 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 the exiles or the prisoners? Then I'd be in trouble. Daniel's realizing like, oh, that's going to put you in a bad position. Well, let me give you a solution. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, manners, test. Here's an optionality. Your servants for 10 days. It's a limited time frame. You don't have to do it forever. Let's not commit to forever. What if just for a little while? Let's do a trial period. See how this goes. Give us nothing but vegetables and eat and water to drink. Then compare like, let's, let's, let's do a litmus test. I'm not asking you to go in blind. I know that your head's going to be on the table if this doesn't go well. So compare it to the appearance of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this. He tested them for 10 days. You know how it went. It went well. So just for like hypothetical situation, let's take, let's take something that nobody could ever get upset or offended by to discuss the practicalities of this. Let's take the vax mandate, for example. My goodness. Oh. Listen, I got the vaccine. Uh, Pfizer, in case you're curious, that becomes a topic of conversation. Like, which one did you get? Which boost are you going to get? Uh, but I got the vaccine because I chose to get it, not because I was coerced to get it. And I think that's important. And I'm not pro-vax or anti-vax. I am pro-medical freedom. And uh, not being anti-vax, I am pro-bodily like bodily autonomy. And some people might be like, Wait, wait, that's, that's the same argument as pro-choice people. You realize you're giving them their argument about pro their own body. No, I'm not. The baby's body is not their body, and you can prove it by science with the genetic code and DNA. But I think any time that uh, we're making a concession to the government, giving them power and permission to make all people do one thing, that creates a precedence. And that precedence will be really hard to get back. And so while it may be one thing that is beneficial to society today, in future time, that could be a precedence that could be really difficult. And so the other thing that you gotta think about is that you can use this Bible to justify everyone should get a vaccine. You can, and I've heard the arguments. And you can also use this same Bible to argue everyone should be able to make their own decision. And you can and I've heard the arguments. And so what it leads me to think is that it's a Romans 14 issue, that this is an issue of conscience and conviction personally. 
And in Romans 14, as they walk, as, as God instructs us about that which goes into his body, that, that's the example that he uses there is food. Uh, he says these three things. He says, don't quarrel about them. Don't despise each other and don't judge each other. In John 17, I was reading it through my time with the Lord this week. Uh, we know that Jesus says, and, and in this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you what one another? Love, if you love one another. That's how they're gonna know that we're of Jesus. But do you know then what he prays for us? You'd think he would go on and say like, okay God, so Father, let them love each other, let them love each other, I pray that they would love each other as you and I love each other. He doesn't. You know what he says is? Father, let them be one just as you and I are one. It's the refrain of this great high priest prayer that he gives. Is he's like, hey, the world's gonna know by how they love each other. Now, to that end, Father, what I'm gonna pray for is that they would be one, that they would be unified, that they would forsake friendly fire, that there wouldn't be this infighting over questions of conscience and conviction. I think it's really important. If you wanna get a vaccine, this is not an issue for you. If you don't, I think Daniel may give you, like if your employer is commanding you to do this, which they are right now, and people are losing their jobs. If you're in the medical field, uh, transportation field, government, first responder, police, you're getting this mandate because it's state imposed versus professionally imposed, like in corporate America. But, but it is coming along with many people. And so here's what I would say is you can be diplomatic like Daniel. Instead of being obstinate and offensive, you, like Daniel, could present optionality for an accommodation. You can't demand it, but you could recognize their responsibility and with humility come and ask for accommodation. Say, hey, what if I distance? I talked to a guy after the first service who walked through this very thing. What if I, I'll option to distance? I'll have uh, voluntary temperature checks, voluntary testing. Um, I'll wear a mask when I'm around others. There's things that you can do to ask for that accommodation just as Daniel did and give them a time period. And if they agree to it, if they say yes, then you should be the very best at following the ways that you said that you would accommodate them under that. And if they say no, you should work and leave in a way that they will miss you when you go. That they would be like, man, he or she was so good. And even the way they respectfully disagreed with where we were going as a church. That also can apply to you as a teacher, university, if they're asking you to use pronouns or a new name that you would say like, hey, um, because of what I believe, I love that person, my student, my colleague, I love them. They're my friend. But because of my beliefs, I cannot with conviction and conscience use those pronouns or that new name. And so here's some options that I would share. And you can go forth with that in a winsome, humble way. Just as Daniel did. Be diplomatic like Daniel too. Be faithful like the followers. Faithful like the followers. Uh, we as Christians are being marked by faithfulness in our freedom of speech and not complicity with this new immorality. And so for some, that's going to be speaking up. For some, it's going to be not speaking at all. And for others, it's going to be speaking for those who can't speak. Let's take some examples. Recently, uh, a YouTuber who had a massive following was removed and demonetized for hate speech. Now, what's the hate speech? You should ask. The hate speech was rape 
in prisons, which is confusing. You're like, how is that hate speech? That sounds like a really good thing to speak up for. No one should be physically and sexually assaulted, particularly when they're in a confined and a trapped environment. Like, that's just like, why, how, how in the world could that be hate speech? Well, it was hate speech deemed by YouTube because the crime was being enacted by transgender males who are, I know this gets confusing, biological males against biological females. Transgender women put into female prison dorms and then raping the women. And the YouTuber was bringing this up. Now, I don't know at what point YouTube jettisoned the Me Too movement, but it seems like they're more concerned of trans rights than they are women's rights at this point, which is what happens with this new morality. It collapses in upon himself. You can't have 1,000 divergent truths and hope that they would all stand. You can have one truth by the creator who says this is the way and every other, other way will fall and fail. There will be an end to this moral experiment, and it's already not going well. Be faithful like the followers. Two things that need to be spoken about with truth and love. CRT and gender theory, both theories um, that are getting, uh, they started as these academic disciplines that are now making their ways into public schools. And so CRT, critical race theory. Critical race theory, I would say, we would say is a bad solution to a very real problem of racism. There is a real problem of racism, but CRT, critical race theory, is a bad failing solution. Now, CRT is part of a larger discipline of critical theory that looks at many cultural or academic settings by a particular people or socioeconomic group and decide this is what the new truth or reality is and here's how we will reconstruct that system. It's critical theory. It applies to various disciplines, but in this case, the critical race theory. Now, hear me say, and us as a church, undeniably and tragically, this nation has committed horrific crimes against humanity. We just have. And it's undeniable. So, and, and this is not just a token flip to slavery, but it's slavery that then went to sharecropping that people could never get out of. That then in the civil rights movement before that was the Jim Crow laws in horrible segregation and police attacks by dogs on peaceful protesters and bombings in this city just because a person of color would move into a different neighborhood or the Negro in Jewish districts. We, we would push people out and say, you can live here, by the way, with no utilities. And it's not just a white-black thing. There's also the Asian concentration camps that our government put Asians in during World War II as we threw stones at the concentration camps of Germany that we ourselves did. And what about the Native American Holocaust, the genocide against the Native Americans, and those who were remaining through the Trail of Tears were put on reservations that I've been to that is much more sand than soil where you can't grow a thing. That's horrible, every single one of them. And anything in this day and age that is still a law that still forwards racism is evil. And we as a church should vote and use our influence to deconstruct and remove those. That's true. But what is altogether different is to say that one people group, in this case, uh, critical race theory, whites, 
are inherently racist and oppressive is just wrong. And so while there is historical remorse and sadness for those sins of the past, is there personal responsibility for the individual in the present? No. I hate that any of those things happened in the country that we live in. As I look out on an entire congregation that is filled with color, and praise God for that. The church should be marked by it, every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth as it is in heaven. But we as individuals, any individual is not personally responsible for the sins of the past. That's, that's Ezekiel 18.2 where he says, a person will not bear the sins of the father. They don't transfer down. So we've got to fight against racism, but we don't do it. We don't fight inequality with additional inequalities. Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State, gave an incredible interview on ABC that I would commend to you. We can put it, maybe a link to it in some of the resources that will be offered after this. This is CRT by definition by Richard Delgado, co-founder. CRT is a collection of activists and scholars interested in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. That doesn't sound bad thus far, but continue. These scholars, David Gilborn, Tommy Curry, Kimberly Crenshaw, and more, view race and white supremacy as an intersectional social construct that advances the interest of white people at the expense of other persons of other races. And so we as a church should fight against racism, but again, CRT is a bad solution to a real problem. Secondly, gender theory. There's promotion and promulgation of this gender theory now coming through with the national sex education standards that's getting put into our classrooms. And these are things that we need to speak up with. We need to influence principals and teachers and school boards and with our vote. Because what's happening is, is our, our, the curriculum that's being passed down now is not uh, sex education, it's rather sin education. In this ever fluid gender reality with instructions on how to masturbate, how to have an abortion at the age of six, abortion resource centers by, the, by ninth grade, sorry, sixth grade, now ninth grade, um, that abstinence is really just anything but and how to perform anything but, including all the different ways that I wouldn't say from this stage. The old tolerance is, I will hear what you have to say. The new tolerance is, you will validate what I say. So Daniel, when he learned that the decree has been published, went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed. The decree that was established is no one will pray to anyone except the king. And it says when. When Daniel heard that, he's like, well, I know what I'm doing. Goes home, opens the windows, kneels and prays towards Jerusalem. And he's like, come what may, because now the laws of the land have infringed upon the law of the Lord, and I know who my allegiance is to. And so we've got to speak up. We're not to be compliant with moral compromise, but rather respectfully offer options. So this is happening within schools and universities with the pronoun issue and transgender, and it happened recently with me, with a, a new friend of mine, and, uh, who is a man identifying as woman. And I said, hey, uh, and we talked about faith, and he said that he believes in Jesus, and I said, hey, I'm not gonna do the pronoun thing, and I'm gonna call you brother, because you are my brother if you are in Christ. And so he calls me brother, he understands. And I said, you know, I, I don't think you would ask me to violate my conscience, and we have this understanding with each other, and I, when I see him, I hug him, and I love him, and I believe God's gonna do great things. 
We need to speak up also for those who cannot. Life in the womb, older life with euthanasia that's in states, it's here in the US. Additional needs and special needs life. And we need to vote and support and exhort. Here's what MLK said. MLK said of the parable of the Good Samaritan, he said the, the priest and the Levite, they walked by the man lying there bleeding out in the ditch and they thought, what will happen to me if I stop for him? But the Good Samaritan on the other hand, he walked by that man and he said, what will happen to him if I do not stop? That our concern is for others and not just protection and priority of self. <laughs> and so the Hebrew midwives who were told to kill children, Exodus 1.17, as the Pharaoh said, you kill every Hebrew boy. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do, and they let the boys live. They feared God more than they feared the king, and so they did have civil disobedience. Rick Smith, who was on staff with me here at Watermark, uh, he left to create Hope Story. Why Hope Story? Because Rick has an amazing son named Noah. Noah has Down syndrome. Noah is also on the board of Hope Story, which I think is one of the most incredible things. So Hope Story, what they do, because 60% of Down syndrome babies are aborted, 60%. And so Noah's like, well, I'm gonna advocate. My wife's an OB-GYN. We're gonna start advocating with OB-GYNs to influence them that, hey, when a baby is found to have Down syndrome, that's not actually bad. It's a beautiful story. And how to help them give that diagnosis of Downs to the parents that they would choose life. In fact, he's not here today because he's out there advocating for those who cannot speak for themselves. We need to be faithful like the followers, and here's one other way. Jesus, when he is met by the Roman centurion, and you know that the Roman centurions, they were not batting a thousand. I think there were probably some acts uh, of injustice that happened as they were the police over that land. Jesus didn't turn his way from the Roman centurion, but rather said, oh, your servant is sick unto the point of death? Go and may it be done for you. And I haven't seen this much faith, and he was amazed by it. He, he blessed the Roman centurion. So as he didn't, he didn't call for defund centurions. And as this nation, in part, is calling for defunding of police, I say, what if oppositely we followed Romans 13, this Romans 13 sort of righteousness that oversees our city and keeps mayhem at bay? They are the sort of righteousness. What if the thousands of people who heard this message, instead of crying for defund, what if every time we saw a uniformed officer, we approached them and said, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. We thank God for you. And anytime they were in a restaurant or coffee shop, you said, you cut in line and said, hey, his is on me, hers is on me. And we actually blessed them. We could do that as a body and have an incredible influence upon the city, be faithful like the followers. Third, petition like Paul. Petition like Paul. Jack Phillips is uh, the owner and proprietor of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. He was approached by a gay couple who said, we want you to make a cake for us. And Jack said, because of my beliefs, I can't make you a cake. I will sell you any of the cakes that I have, but I can't make you a cake that would violate my conscience. They filed suit against him. That's discrimination. And so Jack appealed. So it went from local court to regional, to state, to circuit, all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States, where the Supreme Court ruled 
in favor of Jack, saying, yes, that would actually violate his conscience and his religious beliefs. We uphold what Jack said. Praise God, because what Jack did in protesting or appealing, petitioning like Paul, petitioning like Paul, he, Jack gave to us a religious liberty that allows us to not violate our conscience for the sake of another's. But it's happening again. Now a transgender female, biological male, is saying, Jack, I want you to make me a cake. I know you went through the whole same-sex thing all the way up to Supreme Court. I want you to make me a cake from my transition from blue to pink. That's what I want my cake to be. And so now it's going to go through that whole loop again. Hopefully they will find case law within uh, the original case and grant him that religious liberty again. But it's happening also now with Lori Smith of 303 Studio. She makes websites. And so uh, a same-sex couple said, we would like for you to make our wedding website. It's in Colorado, of all places. And so it's going to happen all over again. And hopefully the Supreme Court will rule in that favor because those laws will affect the laws that affect us. Petition like Paul. Here it is. Know and use your rights for righteousness in the land. Then Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, because Paul had, uh, he had spoken out and the people were in an uproar and they wanted, they wanted to kill him, uh, just citizens. And so here he is before, uh, think police and then court officials and even a governor. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, who's the governor, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Basically like, hey, let's deal with this outside the court. The Jews are upset. Let's take it to the Jews. This is Paul's response. Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. If there's injustice, let there be justice. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. From angry mob to soldier to commander to Felix to Festus to Caesar. Just like Jack Phillips from angry couple all the way to the Supreme Court, which brought back down a law for religious liberty for us. Praise God. Fourth, exhort like Esther. Exhort like Esther. Esther found herself in the king's court, and she could not walk in and see the king by law, punishable by death, unless he summoned her. And so Esther was more concerned about her own problems than proclaiming truth. She was more concerned about the problems than prayer. I think in some ways we're more concerned about problems and politics than we are personal piety. Here's how Esther responds, because Mordecai says, hey, you've got to do this. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And in response, she says, you're right, Mordecai, have everyone pray and fast, and I will go before the king. And I and mine, we will pray and fast as well. And the Lord, sovereign over that government, gave and issued a decree that spared the Jews. May we not be guilty of focusing more on problems than prayer. As such, I wanna invite you to pull out your phone and set an alarm for 1.39 p.m. 
1.39 p.m., set an alarm that would go off every single day at 1.39. Why 1.39? Because of Psalm 1.39 that says we are fearfully and wonderfully knit together in our mother's womb. 1.39, because the heartbeat bill is now, it's gotten fast forwarded to November 1st where the Supreme Court will hear arguments over whether they will transfer the rights of children back to the state and thus would overturn Roe v. Wade. May we not be guilty of being silent and saying, well, it's in the Supreme Court's hand because we can exhort like Esther. We can petition heaven and call upon God who is over all authority, every governing authority. We can petition and knock on the doors of heaven to a king that we know this is according to his will to see if he might intervene in the decision by the Supreme Court justices and hand legislation back to the state of Texas for life. That's before they will hear in December the Mississippi 15-week ruling. Pray at 1.39 every single day. Here's other things we can do. We can talk as we exhort like Esther to principals, CEOs, superintendents, coaches, employers. We can influence up. We can exhort them and help them as we disciple them in the ways of truth instead of the fluid laws of the land and the laws of the Lord. Secondly, we can vote. There is an election. Right now there's early voting through October 29th that will be on election day, November 2nd, which is really important because Proposition 3 is a constitutional amendment that would never again allow a state to prohibit a religious assembly, whether it's COVID or a Delta variant or whatever may come, that always people could gather for religious assembly to worship God no matter what the state says. This is an important issue. You can also run for public office. Tom Sharp who's an incredibly gifted individual, member of this body, uh, he decided, I will run for school board president. Now, Tom, Tom's a gifted guy and could use his time in a lot of different ways for pretty lucrative things. And instead he said, with this discretionary amount of time, I'm gonna run for school board president. Why? Because as I influence the next generation, I will be influencing the nation. And so he's doing that. That's a part that he can do to exhort like Esther. Secondly, Adam Magoo, friend of mine, who's a city council person, leading in this city for righteousness, the shalom of the city. That's Adam and what he's doing. He's a gifted attorney. And he has taken time off from that to lead our city. Adam texted me recently and said, hey, I nominated you to pray before one of our city meetings. I texted back and I'm like, I don't, I don't think the city's gonna like my theology. He texted back and said, John, the city needs your theology. Dude, Adam McGoo, kidding. Governor Abbott just signed House Bill 25 that assures biological genders will not compete against each other and we will not have trans girls who are biological males competing against females. Shalom of the state. The White House in response said, this hateful bill in Texas is just the latest of Republican state lawmakers using legislation to target transgender kids, whom the president believes are some of the bravest Americans. These anti-transgender bills are nothing more than bullying disguised as legislation and undermine our nation's core values. To that, Mr. President, I respond with a reading from Romans chapter one. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. 
They have become full of every kind of wickedness, wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're God-haters. They invent ways of doing evil. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let's do what the word says. Father, we pray for President Biden. We pray for the Supreme Court of the United States of America. We pray for our legislators and those in public office, for our educators, that you would influence them to the ways of yours. The Holy Spirit came to show the world guilt, sin, and righteousness. And so, Lord, as this remnant prays to you, would you lead our land in righteousness? And so we pray for the shalom of our nation that we would experience shalom as we are in it. Amen. Y'all, this social experiment will fail. It's inevitable. We know the ending of this book. And when it does, will you be quick to say, I told you so? Or you to the brokenhearted who are there in the broken reality of the failed morality, will you say, here is the God I know. Because if you recall from last week, we are not out to win arguments, we are out to win souls. That is the role of the church, to be salt and earth, that we would lead others to Christ. That's the aim, that's God's heart. America is not in the back of the book. But the souls of men, women, the word of God and God will last forever. And so we are to be about God's business. As we live here in this land that we would further the kingdom of God under this land. And in 1 Timothy 2 where it says, I I desire there for everyone with holy hands lifted high to pray, not quarreling or arguing. He says, pray for all kings and authorities. Do you wanna know why? Here's why. The conclusion and the balance of that verse says this. This is good. What's good? The praying for all of those in authority. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. We are to proclaim Christ to this hurting, dying, broken, lost world. If we are more known for our politics than our religion, then our religion has become our politics. And may we be known for forwarding Christ in his ways because the world will see that and be like, though I despise what you're saying, I see you living a life of love and with that I can't argue. Who is this God that you know? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word that contains so many examples of God's people living rightly under your sovereignly appointed governments. Whether they are righteous or pagan, you've given us these living examples of how to live, that we would not be obstinate or offensive, but that we would use our rights for righteousness, not to be right, but to bring about the shalom, the peace, and whole presence of God to this land, that it was also in that we would find our peace. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.